Good morning. Awesome. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And as you do that, I want to encourage you. um, You know, we've been dealing with relationships. um, And regardless of where you're at, um, regardless of what you have dealt with or struggled with, maybe you're married, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're um, barely holding on, maybe you're never planning on getting married, I don't know. But I do know this that every one of us has relationships. And so whether you're married or not, while today is going to be kind of directed toward married couples and things like that, and it'll hopefully prepare you if you're planning on getting married in the future. But I also say it this way. The reality of relationships and what takes place is this. Conflict happens in relationships, period. But how I deal with the conflict or how I deal with those things speaks volumes about what's going on in my life. And I think when we handle conflict in a biblical way, in a right way, that we can agree to disagree, we can learn to listen, and we can save a friendship or save a relationship, or we could dig in, say, I'm right, you're wrong, not have any sort of compromise, any sort of listening, and then we end up losing the relationship, right? And I, I, listen, I know it happens. It could be family members, it could be spouses. It can be children, it can be coworkers. All of these things stem from this. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter four, I wanna uh, reference a couple things real quick and then we're gonna kind of unpack this in a, what I would say would be a very applicable way. Ephesians chapter four, I'm actually gonna start in verse 20, all right? Now I wanna give you a, an idea. Paul has been talking to the church at Ephesus. He basically tells uh, the, the, the leaders there, hey, you're, you're, not to, you're not allowed or you shouldn't be Uh, acting like a person who doesn't have a relationship with Christ. In other words, you can't continue to chase worldly things and continue to, to, what I would say, reap the blessings uh, of God, all right? In verse 20, he says this, you, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. Surely you have heard him or heard of him, and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted in its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So here's what he says. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, if you have acknowledged that you're a sinner, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you are a new creation. And he says that you don't run back to the old self, you put on the new self. And as a result of that, He jumps into really where we're going to spend the bulk of today as we jump into this series or in this sermon. He says, as a result of that, right? Therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Now he jumps in to the second part. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. 
Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And then I'm going to close with this. It's not up there on the screen, but in Ephesians 5, verse 1, it says this. Be imitators, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Listen, we all know conflict is there. Gary Smalley, uh, a, a guy who used to speak for Focus on the Family, he was a pastor down in the Branson area, says this, the most difficult years of marriage are those following the wedding. Right? Like, like that's kind of a broad statement, but that's, that's reality, right? Like, like, things happen. Things come up and conflict comes up. And here's what's crazy. In in our relationships, a lot of times we approach fighting and conflict like an MMA bout or a UFC title bout, right? A matter of fact, some of you have invited people into the front row. They, like they, they've paid for the pay-per-view because you air out everything on social media. Like everybody knows what's going on in your relationships because you've just, you've just done told the whole world how much of a scumbag your husband is or how bad your wife is or, or, or girlfriend or things like that. And listen, that's the world we operate in. And here's what I want you to understand. None of that is biblical and none of that is good. Matter of fact, we decided we would put on a show today. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> I heard that. But I want, I want us to think about it this way, right? In every marriage or in every relationship, we have the choice. <laughs> I get my mouth guard. Where's my mouth guard? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> right? In every, in every relationship, we have the decision when it comes to conflict and how we're going to respond. Right? And so today in our, in our sermon, as we kind of unpack this, listen, we said this earlier, the enemy's agenda, right, is destruction. We've talked about that, John chapter 10. His agenda is destruction. He wants to destroy our relationship. He wants to, to destroy every relationship. You may have a relationship with somebody, I love, this kind of feels weird. Uh, you may have a relationship with a lost person that you can't seem to get into a good relationship with. And listen, I want you to know this, that Satan has every desire to destroy that relationship so you can't speak any life or truth into their life. You can't show them the good news of the gospel because you're so worried about everything that's going on. And so today, as we kind of jump into this idea, I want us to think about it this way because in marriage, most of the time, here's what we like to do. We want to get in the ring. Right? And as we get into the ring, we want to throw the jabs. We may think it's defending myself, right? But every time I say a crossword to my wife, what am I doing? Like, none of you would sit by if I was to just come over here and start pummeling. I would hope you wouldn't, at least. If I was to come over here and start pummeling my wife, right? And I'm, I know she wouldn't sit by. But, <laughs> but, but, but I want us to think about it this way, right? How often... Do we make negative comments about our spouse, or how often do we make a, a, a statement and what we're doing? Listen, in the year in boxing, it's not just about one. Everybody likes the knockout blow, right? Right? There's always the knockout blows, but if you've watched much, when a bout goes the whole, the whole length of the, of the match, do you think those fighters hurt? 
Do you think they suffer from what goes on? Like if you have body shot after body shot after body shot after body shot, what eventually happens with that person? They struggle breathing. They wear out. They're tired. Their their defenses come down. And as their defenses come down, what do you set them up for? The knockout. And funny is, that's sometimes how we try to fight in marriage. That's sometimes how people will approach conflict in a relationship is, I'm going to take you out, bro. (laughs) Like, you're going to be bloody and on the mat. And I'm going to take you out. And so today, as we jump into this, we talked about how the enemy's uh, agenda is destruction. You can take him off. Unless you want to punch me. I don't know. And it's, <laughs> so, um, but we, we talk about how if the enemy's agenda is destruction, right? Then what we have to understand that his, his motive or his desire is division. He wants to create division that's going to lead to you having conflict, right? And listen, the more intimate a relationship we said this earlier, the more intimate a relationship, the more reality there is there's going to be offense. And I want you to think of it this way. The more intimate the relationship, the more that there is going to be for conflict, right? And before marriage, opposites attract, and after marriage, opposites attack. Right. Like, think about that. It's cute at start, right? Like, before you're married, it's like, oh, that's cute. Yeah, and when I, we had Sports Center on 24 hours a day, <laughs> it's like we watched the same thing at 7 a.m. and at noon. Which, by the way, I hate Sports Center now because it's a bunch of opinions. I just want stats, updates. Sorry, never mind. I've always hated it. And I don't ever watch it that but much But it was anymore. cute, you know? Whenever we were dating, it was just like, oh, you know, he loves And then we sports. got married, and she's like, do you watch anything else? I'm like, listen, if cable just included ESPN, I'd be good. I don't need any other channel, right? And she's like, I want to watch stuff. But who had the remote? Or just turn it off. (laughs) So, yeah, listen, God's intent for marriage and our relationships is that they'd be filled with love, that they would be unified, that forgiveness would run, would run rampant, right? That, that however many of our relationships, and I want you to think about it this way, if God's desire is that, many of our relationships, however, look like war. They look like a battlefield, and there's bodies and death all over it because of the way we approach conflict in those relationships. But on the flip side of that, sometimes you have marriages that have no conflict, and sometimes they like, oh, we never fight, but it's because one is always the punching bag. Somebody always just rolls over and gives the other person their way to avoid the conflict, and that is certainly not healthy either. Because then you have one dictator, and then you have somebody that's just cowering in fear of whatever that conflict might look like. Yeah. And I think, I think it's important. So today, as we jump into this, we're going we're gonna to get our truth from, from God's Word. We're going to apply it in a way that I hope would make sense in a, maybe a modern-day parable. But here's, here's today's main topic. Here's the idea. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this, that we are to imitate Christ in our relationships. You are to imitate Christ in your relationships. Now, I I clarified that because I didn't just say in your marriages. You are to imitate Christ in your what? Relationships. So guess what? How I respond to an unbeliever reflects whether I imitate Christ or I imitate or really push back into the what, what Paul was saying, 
that I'm going to imitate my old life, that I'm going to win no matter what the cost, right? And, and, and listen, a lot of us approach it that way, especially in marriage. If I want to win no matter what the cost, then I'm going to put my wife down no matter what the cost. Because I want to make sure that she knows that I'm going to win this fight or I'm going to win the battle that, we're, that we have going on today. So here's the question today. How do I react or how do I deal with conflict in a relationship? Now, if you're married, you can ask it from this point, but I want you to ask it in this way. How do I deal with conflict from a biblical perspective? And number one is this. We're going to kind of compare this. It's the tail of the tape, right? Before a fight happens, what happens? You got all the preparation that goes on beforehand, right? The, 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 the fighters are preparing to, to go to battle. They're, they're doing their exercises. They're going through different scenarios and situations. They practice different things. But then right before their fight, we've got this thing called the tail of the tape, right? They do all the measurements. They do the weigh-ins. Matter of fact, when I wrestled in high school, you'd go, you'd do your weigh-ins. And some of the guys, they'd weigh in because they're, you know, for wrestling, it might be early in the morning or it might even be the day before. And then they would go that night before and they'd pack on weight as much as they could. Packing on, packing on, packing on, packing on. We'd weigh in sometimes 6 o'clock in the morning, and the wrestling meet wouldn't start till 9 or 10, right? And so as soon as we got done with weigh-ins, we'd all load up in a car. We'd drive to the nearest restaurant that they could get all the protein they needed, and we would eat. Now, I didn't have a problem with it because I wrestled 103 pounds. He'd eat the whole buffet and still... I'd eat the whole buffet, and everybody would still make fun of me and go, dude, you can't put on weight. I'm like, sorry. Um, but listen, it's this idea, and here's, the, here's what ends up happening on the tail of the tape. They may weigh in at 155 or 185 pounds, but at fight time, they may be weighing 195, 198. And so here's where I make this comparison. You cannot embellish the truth in your relationships in the conflict. And we do this oftentimes by doing things like this. You always, anybody ever said that? Not always, because last week I... Ah, <laughs> right, right? But listen, conflict is common. And when we talk about this idea, listen to what he says in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. So he's laying this out. This isn't just dealing with marriage. That I speak truthfully to my neighbor. And the Bible is very clear. Who's my neighbor, Right? Like, my neighbor is the one who follows the Lord. My neighbor is the one who's right next door to me who doesn't follow the Lord. It is a person that I deal with. And I have to deal with them truthfully, honestly. I believe we stand on the truth of the gospel when we do that. But we've got to deal with it. That we don't speak falsehood or put off falsehood. Or sorry, we must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. See, the more intimate the relationship, the more infinite the chance or potential for offense and conflict. We've said that. This also, this also doesn't mean that you can just speak the truth bluntly and without regard for the other person because Scripture tells us that our, that our words should be seasoned with salt. And we're going to get a little yeah. bit to this later, but you can't just say, well, that's the truth. Well, you can still speak the truth in love. That now, is necess necessary. Yeah, I clarify this because I grew up fighting. Not, not MMA. I grew up back, backyard brawling to a certain extent, okay? But I, I want you to think about it this way. Oftentimes, we overreact in our relationship when what the other person does hurts, right? 
like when they say something that hurts me to the core, and I used to say it this way, like when I got punched and it hurt, anybody know what, what happens? What's that? You want to hurt back. The fight or flight. And it's not, just, it's not just I want to hurt back. Now I'm mad. What you just said hurt. What you just said bothered me. What you just said cut to the core. And so my first intent is I'm going to fight back and I'm going to fight harder. So I throw punches that to a certain extent aren't truthful, but I know they're going to hurt the person. So if I was to bring Sarah up here and she says something that really is, might be truthful, but yet at the same time it cuts to the core because deep down it hurts, guess what ends up happening in our marriages? It's that right blow. It might be a little bit of an uppercut because I want to take that person out because it just cut me to the core. It hurt. And Paul says, listen to what he says again one more time. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbors for we are all right? We are all members of one body. So listen, it's important that I, I, I play this out in a very simple way. James chapter 4 tells us something very clear, right? Yeah. You've got it? Go ahead and read it. Um, I don't have it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, no. It's on the screen, I think. We got James 4 up there. There you go. No, she can't read. <laughs> I can't with these. Like, you guys are all like this fuzzy, whatever. Okay, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Your desire, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Right? So, so what is the cause of fights? Selfishness. Yeah. It comes from within. It comes from within, right? First of all, it's something I want, but I don't get. So I wanted words of affirmation but I got words of negativity. I wanted my wife not to say something when I walked in the door after a day at work and I was really expecting something else. And so there's this expectation that leads to this idea in my, th- in, in my mind that, that this is what's gonna happen. And then I walk through the door and I walk through the door and what I expected isn't reality. And what ends up happening is it becomes a quarrel. It becomes a fight right? Listen to what it says. They come from the desires that battle within you. Your desire for respect, your desire for love, or a desire to be listened to, right? We talked about this a little bit last week, right? I want you to fix everything. I want you to listen to me. And so these fights and quarrels come up from there. And listen, conflict comes when our desires or expectations aren't met. Unmet expectations are a huge thing. When it comes yeah, to and people typically who have successful relationships fight fair. They aren't going to go to the you always and the you never. It's going to be, I feel like this when you say this or when you do this. It makes me feel like you don't love me or like you don't respect me or, you know, that kind of stuff. And so um, I will say that I did not grow <laughs> up in a house where... People got into fights as far as, um, like, I had three brothers, three older brothers. Not one of them ever got sent home from school because they got into a fight. Like, it's just... But she married the opposite. But that is not the case with him, you know. He, he was always in trouble for fighting. Um, and sometimes just because he was sticking up for his family. But still, a fight's a fight, right? And I always heard him say, you know, the rules for fighting. Well, we, we didn't have rules for fighting because... It wasn't a thing. You never fight fair, you fight to win. That's right. But 
No offense. I mean, that's just the way I grew up. You never but fight fair. You fight to win. In marriage, if you fight to win, you are going to lose every single time because you are going to be completely robbed of any intimacy and closeness that you have. And this is not just with our spouses. This is with our kids. It's with our coworkers. It's with our bosses. It's with whoever we come into contact with. If we fail to love them through whatever conflict that we're having, we are absolutely going to lose. You might win the fight, but you lose so much bigger because you lose that intimacy. Yeah. And I want you to think about this way. I mean, we're going to kind of touch on this just a little bit. You know, if you got younger years, you might. But I want you to think about intimacy, guys. Not one guy have I ever met that's like, man, I wish my wife was less intimate. But I want you to ask yourself this way. Do I deal with my wife in conflict in a way that's very respecting? Do I deal with it and not embellish the truth? Okay. So we'll kind of wrap that up. I I think it's important for us to keep this in mind, right? Don't embellish the truth. Put off falsehood, right? Don't embellish the truth, but I got to speak truthfully. Okay. And I think when I talk about speaking truthfully is this, that I speak words of life and the gospel over my wife. Jesus died for you and I. While we were yet sinners, Christ died, right? And the Bible says, husbands, you ought to love your wives as Christ loved the church. So when I talk about speaking the truth over your your wife, that you would sacrifice for her. Even, listen, and this is our thing, even sacrificing, quote unquote, being right, so that you Say can that work again. towards unity. What? Say no. that again. No, no. I said it once. No, I'm just joking. It's on video. <laughs> even, even sacrificing, quote unquote, being right, right, to maintain unity. It does no good if you win a, a, a battle if you're going to lose a war. It does no good if you're not pushing together to work to accomplish it together. This, this is important because in marriage, the two become one, right? And yet in reality, what conflict tries to do is to take the one and make them two. Now, what does the Bible say very clearly? What God has joined together, let man not separate. So it's important to keep that in mind. Don't embellish the truth, but speak truthfully. Number two is this. You got to get in the ring. In other words, you have to learn to fight right. Okay? Now, there's rules when it comes to UFC or boxing and things like that. There are things they can and can't do. And I, listen, I know people have said, we've never fought. Great. I think that's awesome. Right? But I also know that conflict is real. In almost every relationship, there's going to be conflict that comes up. And how you deal with the conflict speaks volumes. So when I say get in the ring, you have to remember this. When I get in the ring, I do not let sin or I do not allow anger to lead me to sin. Listen to what he says in verse 26. Do not let any, or sorry, yeah, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Listen, it's okay to have conflict and disagreements and anger. What is not okay is when I allow my anger to lead me into sin. That's where the punching bags or the the boxing gloves come in because that's the the way Satan wants to work. Oh, you got conflict? Well, you you just need to put them in their right place, right? You need to let them know. So I speak truthfully, but my words are hurtful 
They're attacking, they're negative, and what I'm doing is I'm landing blows. And listen to me, fellas, if you want intimacy in your relationship with your wife and you constantly are throwing punches at her, there is no intimacy whatsoever because she's always going to be on the defensive, always. And that's the way it is in every relationship. If you want to have close relationships with people and you're always on the attack, always on the offense, always throwing punches, those people aren't going to trust you. They're going to sit back and go, no way. That guy's going to be throwing jabs and blows that I'm just not ready to handle. I don't want to handle, and I'm getting out of the ring. And that means they're out of the relationship. So when we talk about getting in the ring, it's learning to fight and fight fair, learning to deal with conflict in a biblical way. And then we always we need to get to the root of the problem as well. You can't just put a Band-Aid on a bullet hole, right? you got to get the bullet out. You've got to get everything cleaned up, because if you just put the Band-Aid on there, eventually you're just going to have a huge mess of things that you didn't really deal with in the first place. Um, And so getting into the ring also is saying, yes, you need to deal with those things. And it's it's okay um, for you to be hurt or whatever, but you have to communicate that. And last week we talked a little bit about kind of the way that I grew up, and it was, you know, if your feelings were hurt, um, you know, I mean, my parents didn't go out to try to hurt my feelings, but what they said went, and there was no discussion. And so whenever we got married, I was trying to be the good, you know, submissive wife and, you know, just say, oh, okay, you know, whatever. And so he would say or do things, and for those of you who don't really know him very well, he's pretty blunt, (laughs) and so there were times that his bluntness really hurt you know even if what he was saying was true it still hurt and so I would just go into my little corner and I would think what he said was true my feelings shouldn't be hurt I should just deal with this the problem is me not with him but the problem was I was putting a band-aid on that bullet wound and it was not healing. And so then six months down the road, when he did the, had done the same thing 12 more times, I couldn't take it anymore. And then the balloon popped. And then it was like, well, six months ago you did. He's like, whoa, wait, what? I, we can't talk about this now. It's and like, I, I, well, you always ask for examples. So here's all the examples, <laughs> you know. Here's 12 times that you've done this, you know. And here's one of those things. When it talks about speaking truthfully, it doesn't mean you got to be a jerk. Can I, can I talk just a little bit about that to a certain extent? Like, we got a bunch of emotional morons. And what I mean by that is this. If you can have an emotional IQ, learn to pay attention to yourself. Learn to listen to your tone of voice. Learn to listen to your actions. Read your manners, right? Read your body language. Our emotional intelligence quotient in society today seems to be null and void for most people. They're like, I don't care. That's just the way it is. When the reality is, listen, you can speak the truth and still be a jerk. And I don't think the Bible's laying that out. I don't think the Bible's going, yeah, speak truthfully and be an idiot while you're doing it. Nope. Speak truthfully and be the biggest, rudest person you can. Nope. He's not. What does he say again? Listen, In your anger, do not sin. 
Does being a jerk, being an idiot, reflect the love of Christ to those around me? And I think it speaks volumes in all of us, including your own pastor, who has to look and go, I've got to look internally because, listen, my first nature is, right, bluntness. This is why people who, I always say this way, I had a friend say it one time, I love you enough to stab you in the heart, not the back. And I'm like, great, because at least I'll see you coming and I know who hit me, right? Like you stab me in the back, I'm like, oh, I can't stand those people, right? But sometimes getting stabbed in the heart hurts the most, right? It's the people that you're looking at, you're like, man, I respect this person a lot, but they say something. And listen, I have to learn to read this in the right way. He says, in your anger, do not sin. But then he says this, and I think this is important in every marriage. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. If you go to bed angry, you're going to wake up angry. You're going to stew on, you're going to fret over, you're going to second guess every comment that, that came from, from your spouse, every one of them. You cannot allow that to do that. And listen, here's the way it usually goes in conflict. They say something that hurts. I get defend, defensive or offended. I go to bed angry. They're probably going to bed angry because they've never dealt with the conflict. And as a result, here's what happens. Satan gains a hold in a relationship that he was never intended to be involved in before. But what we've done is we've opened a door and allowed him the room to play. And keep this in mind, Satan came to what? Destroy. And every time I go to bed angry and don't deal with the conflict, then all I'm doing is giving Satan an open door to come in and play in my relationships to create division and disunity rather to work in a manner that God has called me to in that way. And just a reminder, too, anger is a secondary emotion. Anger is not just you act in anger. You act out in anger because you're hurt or you're disappointed or, you know, you've got some other feeling that is leading you into anger. Yeah. Me, into anger. And so, um, you know, making sure that you're dealing with the underneath as well whenever you are angry. The Bible doesn't tell us don't be angry. That's never a command anywhere. It just says, in your anger, do not sin. And so the way that we handle anger is, is really the key. Yeah, and cross, like crosswords, attacking words, right? I think it's funny because they're going to get here in just a second. That, that's sin. Like when you attack the other person, you're sinning. You've allowed anger to lead you into the place of sin. Okay? And listen, we're really good at fighting against each other. And what we have to realize, specifically in marriage, is that we have to learn to fight for each other. Every time conflict comes up, there's an opportunity to deal with conflict in a biblical way that can lead to life and restoration and grace. And there's the opportunity for conflict to come up that's going to lead to destruction and, and, and disunity and conflict. Conflict to the point where we, we need counseling even, Right? So that's number two. We said tail of the tape, don't embellish the truth. Number two was to don't allow anger to lead you to sin. Number three is this. How do I deal with conflict? Stop talking trash. That kind of just really comes up to that. Like if you've ever watched fights, what do the fighters always do? They're talking trash. Like Conor McGregor is a numero uno trash talker, in my opinion. 
Unless there's some other new guy. I haven't really watched much lately. But Conor McGregor, the old Irish fighter, is, is that way. He could talk trash better than most people I had ever seen. And listen, that's oftentimes how we go about doing it. We start to talk trash. Listen to what the scripture says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. So what do I do? I have to talk with truth and grace. In other words, I build my spouse up. I look for deposit. Remember a couple weeks ago, I, I grabbed the magnifying glass. We were talking about the speck, the plank, how oftentimes we want to look inside. Listen, now is the time you take the magnifying glass out and you look for the beauty and the jewels and the positive things that are going on in your spouse's life. And not the wrinkles. And not the wrinkles. <laughs> you don't need magnifying glasses for those. <laughs> Anyways, the, the, the point being is this. Now I break the magnifying glass out and I look deep down inside and I see the beauty of who that person is and how God created them, how God wired them. And I let them know how much I appreciate you. And sometimes we forget after we've been together for a while what the beauty is that brought you together in the first place. It's easy to start focusing on the wrong things rather than the right things. And we have to become an expert in the strengths of our spouse. Yeah. Because even if you are fairly consistent with feeling annoyed with them, they still possess those qualities that brought you together in the first place. Yeah, what, what you put into your marriage is what you're going to get out of it. If you're constantly in conflict, constantly putting your gloves on, constantly, your, your wife is going to constantly be on the defensive or offensive, or your husband is constantly going to be on the defensive or offensive, when if I speak words of life and truth and grace and forgiveness, guess what? I look for the positive things and I stop trash talking. And, and I, I brought this up and I, I said it earlier, but I want, I want to be very specific on what goes on, right? Ephesians 4, don't let any unwholesome talk come out. But listen to what he says. When I use those words to build others up according to their needs, it says that it may benefit those who listen. When you praise your wife or your husband publicly, guess who else gets the benefit of it? Everybody else who hears it. When you, and listen, man culture, I'm just going to tell you, right? I'm, I'm around it, obviously, enough. But I, 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 I honestly, it bothers me when I hear men talk about their wives negatively in front of the other dudes. It does. Oh, ball and chain, keeping you locked up inside, huh? Yeah, right? Yep, she's got me. I just got to do what she's got to do if I want to keep the peace, right? That's not words of life. Two become one, and you're again trying to make it two. You're one. You work towards unity. You work towards wholeness. You work towards all those things. Mark Gunger said it great, I, I think in a great way. There's a connection between what you put in and what you get out of your marriage. So if you're constantly fighting, there's going to be constant fights. But if you're looking for the positive things, there's going to be positive. Listen, both the positive and negative are always there. It's what do you choose to focus on? What do you want to magnify in your relationship? What are you going to look for? Every diamond is found in dirt. You get that, right? You just got to look for the diamond through all the dirt. And listen, 
There's a lot of baggage that all of us, we all have dirt. I have tons of dirt. And thankfully, my wife looked for the diamond in that and goes, it may be small, but there is a diamond in there, right? <laughs> so, some days it's a little harder to find it than others. Right? But, <laughs> and he could say the same about me. Listen, there are three things I think we got to do. Number one, we praise our spouse publicly, all right? Number two, we deal with conflict privately. And number three, you don't air your dirty laundry for everyone to see unless you need professional help in counseling. But that's still not for everybody to exactly. see. That's for the counselor. Yes. Like, don't go onto social media and go, what do I do? My husband's an idiot. Yes, he probably was. He probably still is. He probably forevermore will be. But guess what? You airing that out just through a jab at your husband. That hurts. And likewise, husbands to your wives, okay? Five encouraging words a day. And this doesn't always go on, right? Like, I mean, but here's one of the things I would say. Can you find five encouraging words for your spouse that you're going to speak to them? Now, I have to watch this too because, guys, it's not always sexual statements either. I find that out very quickly, right? I'm like, dang. And she goes, that's not getting your brownie points. <laughs> right? Five encouraging words that focus on the positive things that are going on in her life. Like the one thing I will say that speaks volumes to me is how much Sarah pours in and invests, not just in me, but in our kids and how awesome of a mom she is. Another thing I can look back and go, man, I see how she pours into the ladies in this, at the church and I know that that's her heart and her passion and her desire, that she wants to be able to do that, to speak words of affirmation and truth, to be able to pray with you when you're in need. And listen, there are other ladies in this church who are just like that. It speaks volumes. So five encouraging words a day. And number four, the last thing, we're going to wrap up with this. I respond with compassion, kindness, and forgiveness. That I re- Listen, that's not, that doesn't fit with UFC, does it? Kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. That doesn't fit, right? Listen to what he says. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, slander, along with every form of malice. And then in verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Go ahead, you were going to say something. Well, I was just going to point back and kind of circle back to where Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another. And last week, we talked about, what, 1 Corinthians 13. Love Love is is patient. patient. Love Love is is kind, right? That's one of the biggest ways that we can show love to the people around us is kindness. We are in a society as a whole that thrives on negativity and division, and the world needs kindness. But not just the, I'm going to be nice to you the I love you the way Jesus loves you type of kindness. That is what is going to tell the world that they have a Savior that loves them enough to, to die for them. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. While you and I were yet sinners, Christ died. And the reality is in a marriage relationship, 
that when I reflect Jesus best, I forgive most. That I walk a life of grace and compassion and kindness and forgiveness. Because listen, even though I was still going to sin, Jesus died for me. And listen, we can jump into Ephesians 5, and we're going we're gonna to continue one more week uh, with the sermon series next week. But I want to encourage you with this. If you walk into a marriage, or you're in a marriage right now where the gloves are on, and you're ready to go, if you're in a situation right now that you say, look, I don't care what the other person feels, I don't care what they think, I've got to get this off my chest, and I'm ready to fight it out then what I want to tell you is this. You have got to take the gloves off. You have got to take the gloves off and to walk through the relationship and say, listen, I'm willing to do the hard work. And when I do this, I take the gloves off and listen to what ends up happening. I end up, go ahead and put that down. I end up taking the gloves off and I say, what does my spouse need most from me? My spouse, there we go. My spouse needs my, my love. My spouse needs my affirmation. My spouse needs my kindness. My spouse needs my compassion. And my spouse needs my forgiveness. And listen, here's what I need. I need her love. I need her compassion. And I need her forgiveness. Because I know that I'm not free from sin. I know that I haven't owned every part of everything that I've done bad. I know that there are things that I've done that have offended her and set her off. But the reality is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me and Jesus Christ died on the cross for her so that, listen, the two could become one, unified under the truth of the gospel and the grace of Jesus, and we could represent Jesus in our marriage and we could be imitators of God. And when we think about forgiveness, there's a lot of times we just want to say, but, but it hurt, but it hurt so much, it hurt so much, how can I forgive that? Whenever you turn it back around and you think of your own sin, whether it's in the relationship or in some other way, we're all sinners, and our sin was what sent Jesus to the cross. And so whenever you think, I can't forgive there's nothing that has been done to me ever by Brian or by my kids or by anybody else on this planet that was worse than what sent Jesus to the cross for me. And that brings a whole different perspective whenever you start thinking about forgiveness. Because if you think that sin against me, not as much as what I did to send Jesus to the cross. It makes it just a little bit easier to think, okay, maybe I can forgive so here's what we want to do. We want to pray. We're going to pray over you guys. We're going to pray together. If you're as a couple and right now maybe you're dealing with some struggles, what I just want you to do is just where you're at, get together with each other because we're going to seriously just spend just a moment of time in quiet prayer where you're at. And maybe you need to ask the other one for forgiveness. Maybe you need to confess some sin that you know that you have been dealing with. Maybe you've said some cross words, some negative comments. Maybe you've attacked, or maybe you've even tried to defend yourself. Listen, Jesus has so much more for our relationships. Not just our marriages, but our relationships with our kids, with family members, with neighbors, with coworkers. 
And when I approach conflict in an unhealthy way, in an unbiblical way, all I'm going to do is reap what I sow. So Lord, today we pray for the marriages here. We pray for the relationships that are evident. God, we know that you are the one who created marriage. When you said it's not good for man to be alone, that you would make a helper suitable for him and you created woman out of man. And Lord, we know that what the two, or what the, what, when two have come together and when the two become one, that, that, that is no longer to be broken. That what God has joined together, man should not separate. So Lord, I pray over the marriages today here. I pray for unity. I pray for reconciliation. I pray for forgiveness. God, I pray that the love of Jesus would be evident. God, that we would be imitators of God in our marriages, that we would be imitators of God in our relationships with our children, and that, God, we would be imitators of God with our relationships with those who are outside, friends, coworkers, and neighbors. So, God, may we understand how to fight in a way that is biblical and healthy, that works towards life, that works towards hope, not destruction and death. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.